Father, we are once again cognizant of the fact that you created all things with your word. That Jesus Christ, you are the eternal logos, the eternal word of God. By, by your word, reality has been shaped. And it's also by your word the people are saved unto salvation. It is through your word that people are sanctified. It is through your word people are purified. It is through your word that we are set free from the bondage of sin and the work of the devil. That is why your word is so important. So, Father, we are perhaps in the midst of the most important moment of our lives, which is to be under your word. We pray that may these words not fall on deaf ears. May Satan not come and choke these words out of our hearts, which he's wanting to do. But I pray that you protect the ears and the hearts of the listeners so that through these words, these words will fall on good soil in their hearts so these words will bear much fruit in their lives. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for those of you who know, um, we're here for the last couple of months. We're doing a sermon series on the book of Genesis. And I think last week, I think Pastor Ujin left it at, at, at Noah. We ended Noah. So because this is the season of Advent, we're going to take a break for in Genesis, right? Just hold on to we're gonna take a break from Genesis. And for the next four weeks we're going to be on first John chapter one through ten. The verses that we read today will be the main verses of the sermon for the next four weeks. And so number I think it's a good idea for those who can to memorize what what we read, right? Memorize first John chapter three verses one through ten because we're gonna be there for a month. And I think memorizing it will be very helpful. And also um Okay, so that, that's that's the introduction. So the reason why why did why did I choose these ten verses as basically our, ser- our, our, our my sermon series on Christmas, right? The the verses that we just read will be the verses that I will I will use to preach about Christmas. The reason I chose these for these verses rather than you know the first few chapters of Matthew or Luke or Mark is because these verses these ten verses. Give, give us a clear picture of why Jesus came. The season of Advent is we are celebrating the very reason of why Jesus came. Right? And I think some of you, some of you will say, well, of course I know why Jesus came. Right? He came to forgive our sins. Right? Yada, yada, yada. And, and that is all true. But I think, I think the problem with many Christians who are raised in the church. It's because we have heard so many similar things for the entirety of our lives. We cease to remember the significance of these things that we believe in. And the best example is our sermon series on the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, we've heard all the stories before. But but people are telling me over and over again during large group. By the way, large group was awesome, right? If you didn't come in large group, you really missed out. But anyway, during large group, people are telling me over and over again, I never understood these stories as the way that we're, under, we're doing it now. I was familiar with Adam and Eve. I was familiar with Cain and Abel. But I had no idea of the, of the deep meaning behind these verses. And I think that's a similar thing to the Christmas story. We think we have an idea of why Jesus came. But we really don't have a deeper understanding of why he came. And the way that I know that we don't have a deeper understanding of why he came is because we're not cherishing Christ. If we cherish Christ, right? if we truly knew why he came, we would cherish him. But the reason why we're not cherishing him 
It's because we have a very shallow understanding of who He is. Or we have not really experienced what He, is, what he has come to do. And that is why I chose these verses. To tell us, to teach us, to show us why Jesus has come. So that, so that hopefully, my prayer really for the month of December is that through these verses, you will understand exactly why Jesus has come. And not only would you intellectually understand, that you will spiritually experience the reason why he came, so that you will cherish Christ in the Christmas season. The purpose of the Christmas season is to cherish Christ beyond everything else. Love him more than anything else. Love him more than Christmas lights. Love him more than Christmas parties. Love him more than Christmas gifts. To cherish him above all things. And this is starting to happen in the life of the people of our church. How do I know? Large group. Once again, large group was awesome. It really was. I was so spiritually blessed, especially my group. My group, you know who you are. God bless you. You encourage your pastor so. So one of the many things that we discussed during large group, in my team, in my group at least, was people, like a couple of people in my group says, you know what? You know, the Christmas lights, and the festive feelings that used to be attractive when I was a kid, they said, it's not no longer attractive to me anymore. It's not because they're Christmas haters. They're not, right? But they say, like, these lights and these Christmas things, as pretty as they are, it's not their attraction. They're not as, as attractive to me anymore because they know the Lord. And when you truly know the Lord, they say these things, the way the world celebrates Christmas, as good or bad they are, it's no longer powerful to me because I know who the real Jesus is. Does it make sense? Like another example is, so last week I was at the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. My kids hated it. It was like torture, right? By the way, you have to pay like 25 bucks to get in. New York people, man. They're trying to like nickel and dime you, right? Anyway. New Yorkers, right? So you pay good money to go to New York. And so there was this huge museum. It's like torture to my kids. So you were walking around for like two, three hours. And there was a section of the museum where there was a huge Christmas tree. Very German, right? Very Germany Christmas tree, right? And then in the Christmas tree, underneath the Christmas tree, it was beautifully decorated. There was a scene of the nativity. Baby Jesus, donkeys, cows, pigs, Three wise men and a German dude with a backpack. I don't know why that, that guy's there, right? It was like a very beautiful scene. And my wife says, come on, come on, come on, come on, honey. Jesus. And I said, not interested. And I just walked away. The question is, why did I walk away? Is it because I'm a Christmas Grinch? No. I walked away because to me... Jesus is more than this nativity scene. To me, Jesus is more than a baby born in a manger. To me, Jesus is more than this baby that the three kings, three wise men worship. No, no, no. Jesus is not only that picture, but Jesus is so much greater. He's so much more real, so much more powerful. He is, he is the foundation of existence. And compared to that, that nativity scene doesn't do him justice. The way you cherish Christ is to know why he came. 
And not only do you know why He came, to experience why He came. Cherishing Christ is the most important thing. When you start to cherish Christ, everything else falls into place. It's really true. I was listening to a Gospel Coalition like conference on women, you know, because I want to know what women women think, right? So okay, podcast, Gospel Coalition, conference of women. Man, y'all women have a lot of things, right? Body body issues, other women issues, men issues, right? And like in all these things. And I feel really bad for the sisters, by the way. But what got me about the opening sermon of that conference, the speaker was a woman. And she says, I realize us women have a lot of issues. But she says, the solution to all our issues is to worship God and cherish Christ. When you become in all of God, when you become in all of Christ, everything in your life starts to fall into perspective. When you don't honor God, when you don't cherish Christ, things start to fall apart. Once again, how do we cherish Christ? We have to know why He came. And not only do we must we intellectually understand why He came, we have to personally experience why He came. And that's why we're studying these 10 verses in John, 1 John. So I'm going to give you an outline of what we're going to talk about. The first thing that we're going to talk about today is Jesus has come to deliver us from sin, from the power of sin. Next week we're going to talk about Jesus has come to deliver us from the power of the work of the devil. Three weeks, December, what is it? 13th, third week of December, we're going to talk about Jesus has come. To show us God, to make us the children of God so we can see God. And the last thing that we're going to preach about is Jesus has come to give us true hope for the future. These ten verses deal with these issues. Not only is it enough for you to know what these, what, what the purpose is, what these purposes are, you need to personally experience these things in order to cherish Christ. By the way, today, all throughout the week I was preparing and I was tying the first two. Jesus came to you know, deliver us from sin and Jesus came to the, deliver from the power of the devil. It was just too long. And I, I, in my mind, Sean, Sean Kim would say, that's too long, right? So in my mind, it's too long. I go, okay, all right, Sean, I cut it. So thank you. So if, if today's sermon is shorter than anyone else, anything, my sermons, thanks, Sean, all right? So Jesus has come to, to deliver us from the power of sin. That is why he came. That is the main reason why he came. Notice, he doesn't come to forgive our sins. Right? He does. But forgiving, but Jesus coming to forgive our, it, it, Jesus comes not just to merely forgive our sins, but he has come to deliver us from our sins. There is a difference between forgiveness and deliverance. Right? I think if I ask you why Jesus come, my daughter would tell me yesterday during family work, that's what she told me. I asked my daughter, hey baby, why did Jesus come? Jesus come to forgive our sins. And that's what we all, we all, that's the answer we all have, I think. 
And yes, it's true. Jesus has come to forgive us of our sins by dying for us on the cross. But not only has he come to forgive us, he come to save us, he come to deliver us from our sins. How do we know? Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. What's happening in Matthew 21? You know the story. Mary Mary was betrothed to Joseph, right? Joseph and Mary were engaged. Mary got impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Joseph didn't know that. Joseph, after when Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, what did Joseph want to do? He wanted to quietly divorce her because Joseph was a good guy. Right? But the night before he was about to sever his ties with Mary, the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, No, 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 Joseph, don't do it. She says, he says, the, 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 your, the Mary has been, you know, what, what does he say? Let's go. Let's not paraphrase the Bible. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel said, angel said, do not be afraid, Joseph of, Joseph son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to the son, to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The angel gives Joseph a clear understanding, a clear message of what Jesus has come to do. And Jesus has come to deliver his people from their sins. When the Jews hear the word deliverance, they automatically remember the slaves, their slavery days in Egypt. The Jewish people, their slavery in Egypt and God's delivery out of, out of Egypt it is so ingrained in the national identity. When they hear the word deliverance, they automatically picture slave days. So when the angel tells Joseph, Jesus has come to deliver his people from their sins, he's saying, Jesus is coming to deliver his people from the slavery of sin. Just like the Egyptians, were enslaved to Egypt, to Egypt. God's people are enslaved to their sins. What I want you to know about sin, I mean, there's so many things I talk. I mean, for the last four years, I just preached about sin. But there's more things to talk about sin. What I need to understand, what I need you to understand today, in terms of sin, is not just individual immoral action. I think we have a tendency to think about sin as individual immoral actions. Don't think of us, and that's true, but sin is more than just individual act of immoral actions. Sin, as we talked about in Genesis, is the power within you that dominates you, that controls you, that leads you, that influences you. You need to think of a sin not only as individual immoral actions, but as a power that enslaves you. Jesus is saying, all of us are enslaved to sin. All of us are just born with this inability to get out of sin. The question is, what is sin? First John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Everyone who makes the practice of sin is also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. 
What John defines sin is, John defines sin as lawlessness. What is lawlessness? It means all of us are born with the attitude, the number one, that we do not care for the law of God. Right? Nor do we want to, we don't think the law of God is important, nor do we care to obey. That's what John means when it says sinless, lawlessness. God's law is the right thing to do. God's law revealed in scripture, scripture is the right thing to do. But John is saying, when we're saying this lawlessness means, lawlessness means we do not want to obey the laws of God because we do not want to do what the, we do not want to do right thing. So sin basically is, is the power that dominates you, that prevents you from wanting to do the right thing. Sin says, obey your desires, follow your desires, follow your heart, kids. Sin does, sin says, do not worry about what the right thing to do is. Sin says, just do what you feel like doing. Follow your desires rather than doing the right thing. The question I want to ask you is, how many, how many of you are preoccupied with the thought of doing the right thing? In your daily life, how much are you concerned about being kind, being truthful, being just, being fair? How many of you are actually really concerned about and strive to live this good life that God has commanded you to live? How many to, uh, uh, what's the percentage? Most people do not care about these things. They care about establishing, getting, establishing, going to places, doing things, but not the right thing. Sin is lawless as mean. There is a power inside of us that wants us not to do the right thing, nor care about the right thing. And that power is very real. And there's so many examples in life. Take an example of mine. Last Sunday I got up. We walked everywhere. Man, man, New York, seven miles the average. We walked seven miles a day, average. Right? And so on Sunday, we're coming back on Sunday. Sunday, like we did, we, we went all out. We went to Central Park on Saturday. We got Lyman on Saturday. And we walked everywhere because we didn't want to take the stinky New York subway system. We would rather walk than look at rats inside subways. Okay, so we walk everywhere. And, the, and, and at the last thing, we, we walk like four hours in the museum. Because I'm, you know, I want to torture my kids. So by the time you come back, you are just tired. And you sleep, and you get up on Sunday morning, and there's a voice in my head. What does that voice say? Hey, don't go to church. You go to church every Sunday. You preach every Sunday, man. You deserve a break from church. Am I the only one who hears that voice on vacation? You know, you know, you heard it too. Don't worship God. Today's an exception day. And part of me says, "Yeah, okay." True. Eight o'clock last last Sunday morning, I wake up and says, "Yeah, why don't, why don't we just have family worship at, at the hotel?" I'm a pastor. I can open the Bible. I can preach. My wife's a musician. She can pick out a hymn. We can sing in the hotel. That's enough, right? Let us not worship God with the people of God on Sunday. Let's do a mini, 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 mini worship with the family. What is the right thing to do? The right thing to do is on Sunday to go to church and worship with the people of God. That is the right thing to do. 
I'm going to say it again. The right thing to do is coming here on Sunday, worshiping with the people of God. That is the right thing. He saved you so that you will worship Him. If you don't worship Him with other people, why did He save you? But my voice says, no, let's not do that. Be comfortable. The hotel bed is so nice. It is. Man, Western Hotel in Times Square, God bless you. Great bed. But no, you have to say, get up, we're going to church. Calling Uber, we're going to church. I love Uber, by the way. That's the struggle, right? There's a voice in your head that constantly says, do not worry about the right thing. Be comfortable. And you can't get out of that voice on your own. So another thing that I did in my church, I saw Hamilton. I'm such a good dad. In the musical Hamilton, right? It's a long musical, and there is the most impressed impression, like the thing that I remember most about that musical is there's a song, right? That that is called "Should I Say No to Say No to This?" And what this song is about is Alexander Hamilton, like war hero, brilliant man, founding father, has a great wife, devoted, loving. God-fearing wife. God bless him. But he was tempted to cheat. Right? He meets a woman. And he's tempted to cheat. And this song is about his internal struggles of whether he's going to go through the affair. And this is the lyrics of that song. Say no to this. He says, Lord, show me how to say no to this. I don't know how to say no to this. In my mind, I'm trying to go. I don't know how to say no to this. In my mind, I'm trying to, trying to go, but she looks so pretty. I don't know how to say no to this. Isn't that the confession of our hearts? We know in our minds what the right thing to do is. But we don't know how to say no to this. I know I should be a better husband, kinder husband. I know my words can hurt people, but I don't know how to say no to this. I know I shouldn't watch those things. I know those things are wrong, but I don't know how to say no to this. I know I shouldn't be critical, but I don't know, I don't know how to say no to this. That's a perfect description of the fact that we are slaves to sin. Sin is influencing us. And we cannot get out. Maybe for those of you think, what are you talking about? You're too, you're just a pessimist, PJ. You don't know me. You don't know me. Shoot, I can be a good person. I'm not a slave to anything. Shoot, man, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm free to, I can do good for on my own. By the way, that's what the unbelievers say, right? Human beings are naturally good. Human beings are, human beings are able to do good on their own. I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and Tim Keller has a great remedy for people who think this way. He says, Tim Keller says, oh yeah, if you think you can good, you think if you can choose to do good. Tim Keller says, try. Try for the next 24 hours to obey the golden rule. You know the golden rule? Right? Treat others as you want to be treated. For the next 24 hours, truly be happy for someone's success. For the next 24 hours, don't be jealous of anyone. For the next 24 hours, be the kindest version of you you can. 
the next 24 hours, do not hate anyone. Not even an iota, do not hate anyone. For the next 24 hours, do not lust after someone. When you try, Keller says, you will know you can't do it. We only think that we can because we haven't tried. You know, when you're a kid, someone asks you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Fireman, doctor. What do, my, what do my daughter want to be when she grew up? Ballerina, chef, surgeon, she says. Right? She's a realist. Surgeon, because she's a realist. You need money. Right? You know, she, you know my, my daughter is really aware of the, you know, the, the importance of money. Right? Surgeon for the money. Ballerina for the art. Right? Cooking so she can be chef, so she can make mommy and daddy happy. She thinks it's possible to be a ballerina, surgeon, and a chef. Because she's young. She hasn't tried to make it in a career. When you're young, you think you can do anything. When you're older, when you start going to school, you'll know how hard it is. And you realize how difficult it is when you actually try. The reason why we think we, can, we are not slaves to sin, the reason why we think that we were perfectly capable of doing good is because we really haven't tried to be good. When you try, you know how hard it is. I'll tell you my story. Look, New York, I resolved not to be like, not to be snippy at my family. Because, you know, you're tired and you're hang- hungry. And I don't sleep very much at all, so I get, I'm sleep deprived. And I said, please Lord, let me not get snippy with my family. Because my family, is my son here by the way? No? Okay. My family tend to be slow. <laughs> I want to go to places, but they want to say Dunkin' Donuts. You know what I mean? It's so, it's, it's like, you know, right? I want to go eat at this amazing place because in New York, important place, like, like, you know, good places, you have two hour wait, so someone tells me. So I gotta go to this Lyman place, right? So I wanna stand in line so I can eat this amazing Lyman. But my daughter says, I want Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so I gotta find Chick-fil-A in the middle of like New York. <sighs> in my mind, I know how I can get. I know how I can get. Like I'm very quick. So if they don't like follow my way, I get I lose it sometimes. Lord, help me say no to my annoyance. Do you think I didn't get annoyed with them? For five days, I stayed with them, 24 hours a day, five days, five days? Of course I got annoyed with them. I got annoyed with my wife, they're very, on our way to New York. We want to go up there. She said, can we stop by, stop by Starbucks? And that was after like eating at IHOP for an hour. She went, after an hour later, she wants to stop at like, like, Starbucks to get a coffee. I go, we gotta go to New York! It got really awkward in the car. <laughs> try not to be annoying or be annoyed at people. Just try. You will fail. You will know how hard it is. Because it is very hard to get out of the power of sin. An argument can be made. Everything that is wrong with your life and mine 
It's because we're under the power and the influence of sin. We can't get out of it. But Jesus has come to break the chain of sin. He's come to, because sin is, we're so powerless against it. It's so consuming and influencing. The only way that we can get out of it is for him to come with a sledgehammer and to break the chains. That is the reason why he came. To deliver you from your sins. And you know what? He really does that. Yes, we sin, Christians sin, but if you're a Christian, you'll experience the power of sin, the influence of sin dying, becoming smaller in your life, and it's true. We make mistakes still, we sin still. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you can feel that this huge influence of sin that that used to like overwhelm you, that influence is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. Because he really does deliver his people from sin. That is why John, in verses 7 to 10, says, whoever practices righteousness belongs to God. Whoever keeps on sinning belongs to the devil. John clearly says, if you keep on sinning, you're of the devil. But if you're living righteously, if you are living for the right things, if you do, the, if you're doing the right things, then you are the, you are the children of God. What he, what he says is clear. It is perfectly possible for Christians to continue, to continuously living righteously. It is possible for us to live righteously. And, and, and the reason why it is possible is because he has delivered us from the power of sin. It does not mean that we're perfect. Our perfection is going to come when we die, when we be with the Lord. But I'm telling you, when you are saved, when you're truly saved, He does break the power of sin in your life. Sin's influence you starts to contract. The question is, have you experienced that? Have you experienced the power of sin contracting in your life? If you have, you can cherish the Lord. If you have never experienced the power of sin contracting and being dissolved in your life, then John would say, maybe it's because you're still the child of the devil. Maybe the reason why we're not Cherishing Christ is because we're still under the influence of sin. And we have not yet to experience the delivery of sin in in Christ. He does really, truly, honestly deliver his people from their sin. When I look back upon my life, when I when I look back when I was when I was your age. I am so ashamed of the sins that I committed. And when I was your age, I thought this, like when I was committing sins when I was your age, I didn't think they were big deals. But now looking back when I'm almost 50 and looking back on the 25 year old PJ, 
I realized what a horrible sinner I was. And now I can honestly say that influence sin that I experienced when I was 25 is no longer because Christ has delivered me from my sin. Has he delivered you from your sins? I'm not talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about delivery. Has he delivered you from depression? Has he delivered you from lust? Has he delivered you from addiction? Is he delivering you from a critical spirit? Is he delivering you from sin? Is he continuously delivering you from your sins? Only those who's experiencing delivery can cherish Christ. If you're still under the dominion of sin, if you have no idea what delivery feels like, you cannot cherish Christ. How does Christ deliver his people from their sins? He delivers their people from their sins by paying the price for our sin. How does a slave become free? You gotta pay for that slave, right? That's how it works. Slaves become free. Slaves are property of, of belonging to another. And the way that slave is to be freed is you gotta pay the price for that slave. That's how, to, that, that's what the Old Testament law is about. You need to pay the price for your slave. So in order to set me free from the power of sin, Christ has to pay the price for my sin. What is the price of my sin? What is the logical price of my sin? It's sin and destruction. I think it's true. Look, another New York story. I went to the 911 memorial with my son. My wife thought it was too depressing for Charlotte, and I think it's true. So me and my son went to the 911 memorial in the Freedom Tower. It's in the basement. Museum, you go down to the basement. And you go, you go down, 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 down. And every single piece of artifact in that museum reminds us of the death, the murder of 5,000 people. You cannot get away from the reminder of death and destruction and murder. And it is the saddest place. I'm not a very emotional guy. But you could see the more I, I, I was mourning. And you can see the faces of other people mourning there too. They weren't like mm-hmm, crying. But you could see the seriousness. So I was, as I was looking at that, I was thinking, if God made a museum, and in, the, in that museum, he, can, he puts out artifacts of all the destruction and sinful things that I've done. If he, is play, if he makes a museum of all the people that I've hurt, the destructive words that I've used, the lust that i committed, if he makes a museum of all the hurtful things that I have done to the people in, in, in his world, that museum will be full of mourning too. Do you know what I'm talking about? If God would make a museum out of your life and places in there all the stuff that you have done and all the destructive things that you have done and all the all the things that all the people that you have hurt, that museum will be full of mourning. 
the most natural price for our sins is sin and destruction. It's true. But what did Jesus do? He pays for my sin and destruction. How? By becoming sin so that God will destroy him rather than me. That is the only way he sets me free from the power of sin, by becoming a curse and paying the price for me. That's how he sets me free. That's how he sets you free. The best example of this, this it was the best Bible story of illustrating this point is Hosea. Remember Hosea? I preached about Hosea like three years ago. People were so impressed that they started having Bible studies about Hosea. But I'm going to tell you Hosea anyway because, you know, not, like none of you, not many of you were here. Do you know the story of Hosea? He's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And God one day calls Hosea, Hey Hosea, what I want you to do, your, your job is to preach in the afternoon. And do, you, do that job, preach in the afternoon, but I want you to go and marry Gomer. And Gomer, for those of you who don't know, is the town harlot. You know what a harlot is? Okay, this is like all, we're all over 18. She is the town's promiscuous woman. Right? She is the most popular woman in town among men. Hosea, what I want you to do is to preach God's righteousness in the afternoon. And I want you to go marry Gomer as your wife. Hosea obeys and marries Gomer. He loves her, takes care of her, took her out to a nice, you know, romantic dinner on their anniversary. Fantastic husband. And for a season, Gomer was so impressed by Hosea's love that she remains true and faithful. But as time goes on, the yearning for other men starts burning. And she goes out, starts having affairs. Not only did she start having affairs, she becomes pregnant multiple times with other men's babies. Every time, every time, she she'd go out and betray. How do you think Hosea would feel? If the if your wife goes out and sleeps around and becomes pregnant with multiple men's babies, what do you think that would do to Hosea? Jordan Peterson, the famous Christian psychologist, says, the worst thing that could ever happen to a person is for their spouse to betray them. He says, he's been a clinical psychologist for 20 years. He says, there's nothing more destructive than, not even cancer is more destructive than having your spouse cheat on you. It's happening to Hosea multiple times. And every time she says, she, she goes, runs away, God says, go after her. So he goes after her, brings her home back, brings, brings, bring her back home, loves her again. Remember Pastor Byung-Ham, summer pastor? His mom cheated on her, his dad, and she left him and his brother and his dad. And his dad spent months find, trying to find her. And she persuades her. She didn't want to come back. He persuades her to come back with her, with him. And she did. And, but everyone in that family calls him an idiot. 
But Pastor Byung's dad says, I found my wife again. So he was happy. It's like that with Hosea. The difference is, Gomer runs away multiple times. And each time Gomer runs away, Hosea goes after her, forgives her, brings her back. One day, Gomer says, I found the love of my life. You know how that goes, ladies. I found my spiritual soulmate. All the other guys were not true. This is true love. My body and my soul says, yes, he is the one. He is the one. I'm going to leave you. Take care of the babies that I've been pregnant, that I became pregnant with other men. Take care of other men's babies. But you're a good guy. You're a preacher, so you take care of other men's babies. I'm going to go and find my happiness. So he leaves him with the kids. How do you think Hosea felt? It's the last time, right? God says, go after her. Go after her. So he does. So the love of her life abandons her. Basically, when you say, he's the love of my life, he's the one. They're never the one, ladies, by the way. Right? The one that you marry is the one. So he goes after her, and the one, her true love, abandons her, sells her off to slavery. And Hosea finds her in the market, naked, dirty, chained, and being auctioned off. Hosea buys her back with six shekels of silver and says to her, I will be your husband. Please do not have another affair. Let's go back to our home. That's the heart of God when the people... I think we're we're the Gomers. And Christ is the Hosea. He sets us free from sin by purchasing a price for us. Hosea paid six shekels of silver for his wife. For us, he paid us, paid, paid with his life. And when you truly believe in that, when God persuades you to believe in that, you really are set free from the power of sin. You really are. Even though sometimes sin can be alluring sometimes, and it's true. But it no longer dominates you. Even though momentary, there might be a momentary call. But it doesn't dominate you anymore. And I think that's really true. In my prayer yesterday, I was just thinking about, because maybe because I'm getting old, I'm just remembering all the things that I've done when I was a child your age. And all the sins that I've committed. And the sins that I commit even now. And, I, and I'm clearly aware that my sins, I deserve death for my sins. I, and I'm clearly aware of that. But what the amazing thing about God is that even though I clearly deserve death, He doesn't withhold His presence from me. He keeps on preaching to me. He keeps on filling me with love when I pray. He keeps me giving me great people. He keeps blessing you. I don't know why, but through me, he's keep on blessing you. 
He fills my life with so many good things. And I don't know why. I really don't. When I look at my life, I don't think I deserve any of it. But He still blesses me so much. And the reason why He does is because Jesus Christ paid the price for me. And because Jesus Christ paid the price for me, I belong to God. And because I belong to God, He showers me with so much blessing. Can you say that is your experience as well? If it is, how can you not cherish Christ? How can Christmas present and Christmas tree be greater than Him? How can anything be greater than Him? Do you know what it means to cherish Christ? It's not too late. Because the same grace that He gave to me, and the same grace that He showed Gomer, and the same freedom that He gives to the Israelites, is the same freedom He can give to you. Cry out to Him. Ask Him to show you who He is so that you will, so that you're, so that you will be set free from your sins. And He really will do it. He really absolutely does do it. He really does. If He doesn't do it, why would He come? If the delivery of sin is just a concept and not a reality, then there is no reason for Him to have come. Right? He didn't just come so that you will have a nice idea about what He does, who He is. He's come to change your life. And He really does that. Ask Him to set you free. The purpose of our church, I think, is to be used by God to set people free. I think that's what, I think at the end of the day, that's what we're we're about. Preaching God's word, loving people, praying for them so that God will deliver them from their sins. I think that's the mission of our church. And I hope through the mission of our church, God will set you free. Let us pray.